Hey there, welcome to another episode of the show. Ladies and gentlemen, hoas and tramps, cross-eyed mosquitoes and bow-legged ants, I'm here before you to stand behind you to tell you something I know nothing about. Free admission, pay at the door, pull up a seat and sit on the floor. I remember that from like sixth grade. I don't know why. It seemed like a camp thing. But welcome to the show. Today's episode is different and new. That's right, an experimental format where I bring in a co-host. That's right. It's not me interviewing somebody. I would say it's a conversation. And this co-host is a dear, longtime personal friend that I'm pretty sure you haven't met before. His name is Alex. And a little bit about Alex. Well, Alex talks about himself in his intro. I ask him to. But uh, you should know that Alex has been along uh, as a friend and a and a collaborator with me for some time. I met him early on. He hired me to do a, a photo shoot for a resort that he managed. And we became dear friends. And he's gone on to advise uh, Creative Live. He advised my uh, photography app startup called Best Camera. He was a business manager, in fact, for me at Chase Jarvis Inc. for a few years as well. And all in all, a super, super smart guy that I find, um, he said, our, our thinking is very, um, I would say, how do you describe it? Uh, complimentary. Uh, and I think you're going to get a lot of value, not just from the words that Alex says, but the stories that we swap because he, I think he knows a lot about uh, my history and he can extract a few things that I might not otherwise just volunteer. And I love this human. He's he's beautiful, lovely, talented, special, and he's hailing from Jackson Hole, Wyoming at the moment, which is a good place to be. And in this episode, we talk about a bunch of stuff that I have been musing on. Uh, for, for example, my latest book, my upcoming, not latest, my upcoming latest, I wish it was done. It's not done. <laughs> my upcoming book, uh, I put, I pose a question to him about the topic, the subject matter, or at least one element of the subject matter of that book. So you'll get a little sneak peek there. Uh, we also talk about a couple of projects that, uh, I guess this idea of personal work and how personal work turns into the best work of our lives as artists and whether that is directly this personal work is something that that fuels your soul or indirectly and that it leads to fantastic stuff stuff that we cannot um we can't possibly dream of what it will lead to and, and we give a specific example of a an installation i did at the ace hotel which connected me with the metropolitan museum of art one of the, one of the, the best museums in the whole wide world. So lots of examples, a little bit of history here. Uh, and I reveal some things I don't think you will know about me and Alex does too. And not, a, not in a tattletale sort of way, but I hope you enjoy this show. I'm experimenting now that as you may remember, I've left Creative Live. I'm trying to uh, invent and reinvent the show, give you a couple of new formats in addition to the, the short form stuff. I want to have conversations with co-hosts and that's what today's episode is. So please let me know what you think. I'm excited to get your feedback. And I always try and implement what this community wants and uh, to provide some value. So I'm going to get into the show. Yours truly and my dear friend, Alex Hillinger. All right. We are recording on two platforms. Uh, and excellent. Excellent. So welcome. And I know we texted a little bit about... Uh, topics and part of my ambition just to be very crystal is that it we actually work this out together and just as I shared with you my hope is that this is an experimental format 
and we can tackle a couple topics. Maybe they're they're timely in the news. Maybe they're timeless. That's how I was thinking about sure. it. Sure. And, um, you know, I th- again, I think you have a bunch of interesting experiences in business. We, we There's probably, going back to our jam session up at the cabin a number of years ago, this sort of, uh, like, what are story time was a thing that we came up with. And there's just some absolutely bananas stories that people don't, you know, don't, uh, we don't, yeah. there's no vehicle for getting those out. There's none. There's n- not a, there's like, remember the time. And I was just sharing this with the, um, the crew that I'm, uh, working with to help write my book. I was reminded that one time, you know, it, it, we were talking about the concept of, if you, um, if you want to um, stand out, how do you do that? Well, most people go away and they make a list of things to do to stand out. They're like, oh, I have to, you know, I have to, uh, you know, get the approval of this particular group, and in order to do that, I have to do these things. And in, you know, in career world, it's like. You know, I got to go to this school or I have to, you know, have this degree. I got to, you know, get a JD from Yale or whatever the thing is. And yeah. the irony is those lists are so fucking wrong. There's the the ups. I mean, they're literally, if you could make a what not to do list, that would be the list. And and so what is, if you, you know, it turns out if you excavate some of the, you know, the most influential and fun people in our culture, how they managed to stand out. None of those things are on their list or they are, if they had a list like that, it was when they gave up on all that shit and just went back to being themselves or double down on who they are. That's when it, when it worked. And the example that I was talking about for the book is, you know, I'm at the white house as a guest and I'm thinking, how in the fuck am I here? And the, and I'm like, my path, as I started taking pictures of me and my friends skateboarding, and jumping BMX bikes in the backyard. And mm-hmm. that that leads to this. Uh, beyond all yeah. of the other stuff, you know, this yeah. is what I mean. It's the it's the it's the opposite list. Like yeah. if you made a list of the things you think it takes to do that, sure. You know, that's not on the list at all. So Yeah, and I, I, I feel you. I think that that is both an interesting thing conceptually for us to talk about, and and there are many stories along the way of, you know, I, I was parallel to that. I was telling a story uh, to Jeff about, you know, the guy sort of writing lead support and that I did never tell you the time where I was a guest at Buckingham Palace and had to step out of the meeting. And as soon as I left the meeting room, they asked me and I was, they said, you know, sir, but you, can, we, can we make you a cocktail? And I was like, "Sorry, I'm I'm I gotta go to the bathroom." And they're like, "Well, it's you know it's quite quite some walk from here, so can we make you a gin and tonic?" And I was like, "Yes, you can." So they they served me <laughs> a, a bathroom drink, a gin and tonic for my trip to the bathroom. And I'm walking <laughs> I'm walking down the hall in Buckingham Palace by myself. I actually pulled out my camera, and you're not supposed to do this, but I made a little video like I'm just got served a gin and tonic in the hallway on the way to the bathroom in Buckingham Palace. So there's weird things like that that you do not yeah. expect to get there from leaning I mean, into look, who I you are. Sometimes I think about how you and I met. 
How did we Which meet? is what's well, really funny because I went fly fishing for a day. I basically played hooky from my job at, at Suncadia to go with like the members um, on a fly fishing expedition, which my, my boss uh, at the time, Steve was not very impressed. He was like, ah, you're just, you're just blowing off a day, you know, to go fly fishing. I, I, I know this, uh, but it was the fly guide uh, who knew you from Seattle. Like you had done some photo work with him. His name was like yep. Michael, I Michael think. Hamilton. Um, and uh, and uh, he, he, he kind of just brought it up like, uh, unprompted you know do you ever need a photographer and i was like actually i'm looking for a photographer right now and and he he put us in touch and uh yeah and the rest is history but it's still you know you just can't predict how you're gonna you know meet people but it felt like the right thing to do to go fly fishing that day i'll say that like it was you know it, it probably got me in some hot water but it was worth it in the end um I made a great friend. Obviously, yeah, have but, our uh, have our uh, but, but have yeah. our lives been more valuable than that day of work that you missed? Hundred, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, in, in times infinity. I mean, it wouldn't. It, you know, I, yeah. It's. Uh, I, I think so much of it. You know, you, you, like what you were talking about, kind of making lists, like puts you in that very cerebral headspace. You know, where you're being very logic driven, and there's a place for that. But, um, but when you can kind of you know, connect with a, a real kind of instinctive gut level feeling, you know, and a sensibility about like, am I doing this right? Or, you know, is it right for me? Let me ask you a question. Kind of thing. So let's start from the start. Who are you? Why are you on the show right now? What's, ha <laughs> what, what's happening? Yeah. Um, my name is Alex Hillinger. Um, I live in Jackson, Wyoming. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not your typical, your typical, um, podcast guest. I haven't written a book. I'm not really like promoting anything in particular, but I think that, um, you and I have had some really interesting, you know, shared experiences and parallel experiences. Um, and maybe also just kind of like, you know, dare I say kind of a, a mentality of, you know, of kind of like respecting the hustle and really just kind of like digging in and, and going after, you know, and I've learned, I, I've learned a lot from you and, you know, and kind of our relationship, but I would say like probably the, you know, the most uh, important one is to go for plan A. So I always tell myself like, that's what Chase does. He goes for plan A and it, one, it implies that you have a plan A. And I think a lot of people kind of skip plan A and they just go straight to plan B. So I've had to push myself to, you know, to have a plan A, but also um, I think I'm on here because maybe you know, there's things that I've learned now that I'm old um, about <laughs> navigating, you know, kind of life itself. Um, and, you know, and my journey has been sort of circuitous, um, but it's been really fun. And, uh, and I think that um, I'm not upset at, at the decisions that I've made. They've, they've taken me to some really interesting places. So that's something that we can, you know, hopefully explore is kind of like what you were talking about, you know, that moment of, like, how did I get here? And I have that pretty much every day. <laughs> but so, see, this is the thing that if you're listening yeah. to this show right now and you're walking on the walking path and you're sitting in traffic or at your desk, God forbid, at a job you don't love, then you're asking yourself, how did I get here? And maybe that is a, you know, that is a reasonable question for us to explore uh, mm -hmm. as 
part of this, but I, to yeah. be crystal, I'm I'm gonna um, do what I often do and say everything that Alex said. But I'm also gonna I'm gonna fucking talk this guy up because you are a super genius in a very unassuming and very fun way that you know I feel like our um, gifts are in life are very complimentary and you starting back that story that you told how we met you know this fly fishing yeah. guide you were on a fly fishing trip playing hooky from work you said i need a photographer or he said you need a photographer yeah he, he asked me you're like randomly like oh my god in fact yes i do and then he said well i know this guy who shoots you know active lifestyle and you're like shit that's exactly what i need i need some guys you know shoot fly fishing and golfing and all these you know amazing things that this this multi-billion dollar resort that you were the marketing director for and I come in and we not only do we make great work, but we make great fun in the process. And that kicked off not just that work relationship there, but you know, yeah. uh, probably is it multi decade now? It's probably, yeah, right? yeah. I want to so say that a, was 2005, so it's uh, yeah, we're like 17 years. We're coming up, yeah, we're coming up on a long, a long time, and we have traversed the globe literally and figuratively and one of the things that i love about you um, the long list is that you are incredibly thoughtful and you also talk slow i talk fast and you talk slow so we're going to be a good match um but i'm hoping that's because i think slow <laughs> <laughs> but this i will call it methodical how about that and sure and um and part of you know, you want to have. I, I've I'm exploring new formats with the show, and our discussions have been amongst my favorite discussions. You know, on the planet, where you know we'll go up to our beach place and just for a couple of days, just like literally walk the beach, and you know we're working on you know concepts and ideas and writings, and you know you have helped me launch you know the YouTube platform however many years ago, and you know, early on social media and when I was doing these, you know, the first ever sponsored content in the world that, that the term didn't exist. We were pioneering that mm -hmm. and thinking about all this stuff together. So there's a long history there. You're extra smart, especially in ways that I'm not. You're more thoughtful and methodical and I'm, I'm the opposite. And I think not only do we have great shared experiences, you have many of your own that you talked yeah. about and decisions in business and you live in a mountain town that is the most expensive place you can possibly live in the whole world. I think <laughs> one of yeah, them. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. For for better or for worse, <laughs> I'm sure it cuts both ways. But I yeah. also I'm be, it's because of this dialectic, this 20 year history that we have together that mm -hmm. I wanted you to be essentially a co host for uh, some of these experimental episodes yeah. and talk about some things that are uh, interesting, culturally relevant, timely. Uh, and many of the biggest questions that this community has, this idea of how did I get here? And the irony of most people, if you say, I want to get to the mountaintop over there, they would make a list of things to get to the top of the mountain. And nine out of 10 times that list, when I reviewed these lists after talking to the most powerful, successful, happy, joyful, fulfilled people, none of the things on most people's lists look like the people who actually find that amazing life. So the yeah. the moral of the story is the people's lists are fucked up and we got to help them make a better list how to get to the mountaintop. 
And the irony is that it's it's in there. They have it all inside them already, and they're looking outside. Now I interrupted you like three times. So no, you know, uh, I have a lot to say, but um, the idea of lists is a is a hard one for me to even wrap my my head around. um, Which probably is a lot of insight into kind of you know where my strengths and weaknesses are, Um, uh, because I, I I think so much of you know, it's like before you sit down and write the list, you know, what's the environment that you're writing that list in the context, you know, is, is, is huge. And that's really, you know, about getting in the right headspace in the first place. You know, if you're, if you were stuck in traffic and you're pissed off and you sat down to write the list while you're waiting for the traffic to move, you're probably going to write a very different list than, you know, than if you, you know, woke up, took a walk in your neighborhood or, you know, really just kind of spend some time, yeah, or with people that you love, that kind of thing. Uh, the other thing I just want to mention, when I did my intro, I, I, I didn't actually talk about what I'm doing right now, which I think kind of should, yeah, we, we, we should talk about it because I, I think it's very germane to the conversation. It's also been a huge learning for me because I, I do it with, with Megan, with my wife. And so Who's we're a team. Who's also badass, yes. Absolutely. Um, and we're a team, not just in, in our business, but, you know, we're married and we have children and we have a household and, and that and what we're doing right now professionally is um, it's called curve jumping and it's really focused on uh, qualitative research. So we interview people and, and really try to understand sort of uh, the ins and outs of, you know, whatever, whatever the project is that we're working on, a lot of product oriented um, research, but what I love about it is really the storytelling and getting to sit down and be a listener. Um, I get to ask the questions for the most part, but um, but then I just well, we can up. do we can do a little bit of that here. I, I would like yeah. that very much, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hype you up. I'm I'm Alex's biggest hype man, just for everybody. Else. <laughs> so Alex does cool things like I don't know if I can say this. We'll just edit it out if you tell me I say something yeah. that's confidential. Like Google hires Alex and Megan to interview the community of developers around the world about how Google can be better for the developer community. And then you put together a research paper and make recommendations back to Google. So um, yeah. that's well said. That's brainiac level shit. And then the, you know, I have also been, um, I think you do that. And that is sort of maybe the most professional presentation of it for companies like Google and others research oriented. But I will say that you've also helped me operationalize many of my biggest dreams. And you've also done the same with other peers of yours, friends, I'll call them uh, other entrepreneurs, the likes of Travis Rice. You were business partners with Travis Rice, who's the best snowboarder in the world, hands down, basically best big mountain rider that's ever walked the planet. Uh, And, you know, you did... Uh, uh, an amazing online art gallery very early on in online commerce with Travis. And I think that is another side of you, maybe your shadow side, the non-corporate side, but that there's a thriving entrepreneur in you. And it is this range from helping, you know, big ideas come to life for individuals and small groups and, you know, working for Google and helping strategize their sort of global approach to, interacting with the developer community, which is pretty fucking important for Google. Like that is some crazy ass range. So 
<laughs> but but it's funny because at the end of the day for me it's really all very similar you know it's kind of taking in information through primarily like directly through talking you know as opposed to a lot of research you know is kind of looking at stuff that already is written right and going and going and finding things where this is just totally ground level you know hearing it from the person so that person might be like you said a you know a software developer could be just whomever it is that I'm talking to or yeah, or Jimmy Chin or whatever. Um, but then in, it's in, I think a lot of what do you do with that information, you know? And so that's where I think the similarity is, is, you know, it's like maybe it's in service of a different purpose, you know, design, designing a product versus crafting, you know, kind of like the next five year game plan and, and those kind of things. But it's still well, really grounded in, you know, I want to give an example for, okay. for this community of can you tell me or tell us a way in which you helped me make something happen where I was stuck and... I mean, and, is there anything that comes to your mind? I, I, I'm sure I could think of something. Well, best camera is one thing that, that came to mind oh, for me. I, I want you to know I, I, I pulled my <laughs> copy out. Yes. Very, very dog-eared at this point. Yes. Um, it, it lives in our uh, in our living room, and uh, and my kids like to to look at the pictures. So, anyway, because they're what are they they're point two megapixels or something like that. <laughs> so many of those pictures. <laughs> the publisher is saying we can't print this; it's too small. And I'm like, you will print it. It will be important someday. Um, what yeah. Alex is talking about for if you're listening and not watching the show, he just held up a picture of or a, a copy of my book, The Best Camera, which was the first book of iPhone photography in the world. And that was part of a collection of things that Alex uh, and I worked on together to make to get that out in the world. This idea that for for people who did not know, this was the first photo app that had photographs as the basis of the social network, and um, there was an app that was called the Best Camera. There was a book called The Best Camera's One That's With You, and then there was a uh, an online community where people were sharing photographs and you could see all of the photographs being taken with the app in a real-time photo feed and you could see the recipe for how they, all of the different filters that someone added to get a certain effect and it was definitely, you know, way ahead of its time as precursor to Instagram and, and as we know that. So yeah, you just held that up. Um, that when you When I was saying like, you know, give me an example of, and this is this is why you know you've been a mentor to me in many ways, and um, not just a, a peer because you know the the businessification of something or the operationalization of something is a different piece. It's a different sort of aspect of a brain, oftentimes than sort of the basis for the idea. And while I mm -hmm. think culturally some of us put different values on different pieces. At the end of my, you know, where I am right now, I zoom out and I think that you literally cannot, there's no more value in one than the other and both are required to bring anything to life. So I was thinking the best camera is interesting because yeah. it, there's a little bit of lore and there's uh, also the two It was a damn good idea. I mean, I will say that. I think it was a really good idea. And I think oftentimes, you know, one of the things I've learned is, you can have the best idea. You still have to get lucky. And, uh, you know, ha had we 
had a, a different conversation with a different person on a different day, it, it could have been Instagram. It just, it didn't. And that's something that is now sort of just codified, you know, in history. But, um, but it just shows that oftentimes the ones that are really successful, they weren't the best idea. They were the combination of, yeah, it was a, it was an idea. It was luck. It was timing. It was who do you know? You know, it was all those things. Yeah, I like um, talk about and I talk about in creative yeah. calling. It was just we just got out executed. We stalled out with our developer and the community of right. you know millions of people who had the app or and had downloaded it. And were interacting with it. It just stalled out because we were in a uh, at loggerheads with our developer and yeah. inst- Instagram at the time. Bourbon saw this said this, you know, we're this location-based thing and this app, Best Camera, was app of the year. And our photos are the most popular thing. This is a 100% photo thing. And they went and raised $50 million. uh, And through that, you know, that uh, cash at the -hmm. problem that we had essentially solved and out executed us because we were at loggerheads with our developer and there was just a lag in the market for us and they out executed. Yeah. Yeah. It happens happens a lot. It does. But what I'm, I'm interested in helping people understand that you were largely in the background on that publicly, but you were at the table helping figure that out. You know, that was like, how do we cool? I have a, an idea for a thing, I think it's actually good and timely and interesting. You know, fuck, how do we, where, where do we go from here? And you're like, okay, cool. Yeah. What do we need? Well, you know, we need uh, a concept, a concept that we can put on paper. We need to find a developer. So we need to interview a series, of, a handful of developers. You, know, you basically helped bring that aspect to the, hmm, an idea. And again, when I zoom out, most people either have one or the yeah. other. They don't have both of those pieces. And, you know, that's a problem. Um, one that comes to my mind that, you know, when I think about like, what's the one that has been the, the, the most fun was Dasein, which was really, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give my description of it, but I, I think it, what was really cool about it, it was a, essentially a pop-up gallery that we did at the Ace Hotel in New York and took over a space that wasn't even really a space. It was essentially just a kind of a big opening in the hallway. Um, and then uh, you took a series of portraits and then had people essentially submit and upload portraits. Not right? just portraits, just photos, right? snapshots. Snapshots, snapshots. And we were sort of madly printing those out and essentially like creating this environment, the space on the fly. And then it changed as new snapshots came in. So it was this kind of ever evolving, very organic, you know, pop-up piece that when people really weren't doing pop-ups either, um, you know, and, and uh, you were artists in residence there at the ACE for a while. So you got to basically live at the ACE and, and just kind of like uh, absorb, you know, the, the cultural sort of zeitgeist that was happening in that place. And just kind of like New York at the time, um, there was an event to kind of culminate at the end of it, um, which was interesting too, as opposed to kind of doing the event at the beginning. But, uh, you know, there's just so much of that, that it's like, why did we do that? It was a cool idea. 
<laughs> you know, it, yeah. it's, it was where we were, it was where we were at, um, at the time and we conceptualized it and we, you know, we hustled everybody to kind of galvanize around it and, and, and make it happen. You know, it ended up sort of being a one-off, but I'm sure that elements of that, you know, kind of have, have lived on, um, a lot longer than, than the moment, you know, it was, it was kind of like, that was the art. The art was in the creation of that happening essentially you know and the artifact from that are the things that you sort of kept to codify basically that we did that right and i I think about that kind of thing all the time you know there's the sort of the 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 moment of creation like watching the artist actually in the moment of creation and then what gets left behind you know the thing that if your picasso gets hung in you know in the louvre or in you know, in a, in a big museum. Um, but it doesn't matter. You know, I think yep. anyone who is anyone who is sort of wrestling with that creative process, sometimes you can get a little too fixated on like, what is the artifact? And, you know, and so I think like beautiful art, you know, kind of happens as more as a, as a need. I, I want to really express myself, mm-hmm. you know, or I have something I want to say. Um, so to come back to your idea of lists, you know, the lists can be very helpful as far as like, we're going to create this artifact and then what do I, what are the steps that I need to take to sort of maybe, you know, make it into a professional thing, a, a commercial thing, something that I can actually sell or make money on. But I think the more important thing to really kind of focus on is like, what am I trying to say? You know, what's the, what's the art that's inside me that needs to come out? I was talking to a friend who's writing a book and he's writing, he's a, he's a former uh, COO writing a book, basically a memoir and or a story of building a company that was, that they, it was very successful and they grew it and sold it. And I don't need to go into detail about my particular friend other than he is like writing this stuff and he, he's hired, actually his wife hired a writing coach for him because just to keep him going. And he's sitting out with the writing coach saying, yeah, so cool. I need, you know, I got to get, you know, do I have to have a business license for this? And do I get, get my, you know, my uh, lawyer to review the, you know, copyright? And she's like, bro, just fucking write. Like all that shit doesn't matter at all. You have to get 80,000 shitty words on paper before you even have a chance at doing anything with it. So fucking write, get writing. <laughs> yeah, and don't and don't don't treat it as so precious either. Yeah, just yeah. do it. You and, know, I mean, well, you're gonna you're gonna yeah, make a lot of mistakes. That's and, and you know, I, I I share that story about my friend because it's exactly what we did not do. We we for better or worse, and I think it cuts both ways. Sometimes, uh, sometimes it bites you in the ass, but mostly people do it the other way around. They have to get. You know, uh, my friend Scott Belsky calls this insecurity work. You do all of the little things to stack the papers on your desk. You buy all the gear. You get all the mm-hmm. shit. And then you haven't made anything yet. And what we over-index on in my universe and our universe, I will say, is the making part. Mm-hmm. Um, Seth Godin, who I, I know you love and I, I do as well, talks about emotional labor Right. And it's the idea of, you know, that, that when you're a creator, so much of it is kind of wrestling with your own internal emotions. So for, you know, the example that you just gave, it's like doing all those little things. It's because it's actually emotionally very challenging to do the, the hard thing. And so you avoid that sort of painful emotion of having to do the hard thing 
by kind of puttering around and, you know, and doing, I mean, that's essentially procrastination. And I'm the biggest, you know, uh, culprit of, uh, of that. And sometimes I sort of have to stop myself and recognize like, Hey, you gotta do the, the hard stuff. You gotta actually like bear down on the, the stuff that feels hard because that's actually where, you know, where the good stuff happens. Well, Seth is obviously a master at this stuff, but I, let's pull on this side just a little bit more because I think this is a valuable lesson in watching me do this. And I think I've, I tended to over-index on action, you know, over-intellect. That was also a, a chapter in, in Creative Calling, but that was yeah. almost out of ignorance. And now that I sort of know better, I will confess that I strategize a little bit more than I probably should and... Um, and as I have, you know, have been face to face with hundreds, if not thousands of people getting off stages and speaking and, and I think the, the dominant mode for most people is that they way over index on all of the, the planning and the insecurity work instead of just acting. So what's, what's Alex, you know, your sage business advisor, Alex, what do you, what, what do you say to these people? I mean, I see it so differently now. Uh, and so how I'm going to answer the question now is a lot different than how I would have answered it maybe, you know, five or 10 years ago. Um, you can have a great idea. Uh, you still have to get lucky. I think part, the other part that I would that I would add to that is you, you do need constraints. I didn't used to, I used to resist constraints with, you know, with all of my sort of being, but uh, I, I owe a lot. To Megan for really kind of showing me like no, actually you need some constraints. A deadline is a constraint. A budget. Budgets, yeah, exactly. Um, and and really sort of forcing yourself to figure out like what are the constraints that are going to make this thing successful. You still may not be successful, but so you know, insofar as that sort of represents, okay, we need to create the container that this thing is going to go in and and. Then you, it actually unlocks a lot of, of freedom and creativity to be able to to kind of bounce off of those things. Um, so I think it takes you know it takes understanding that you do need to impose on yourself some you know some constraints, some limits, and then you can really kind of free yourself to think sort of long term, broadly, you know, get in touch with kind of where you know where you're at. Um, I'm a big fan of, yeah, values, values are, are, are huge. I'm, I was about to say, I'm a big fan of collaboration. I saw what, somewhere that Jay-Z said he's, he considers himself a serial collaborator. So I feel okay about myself now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, collaborating, especially with people who can bring complementary, you know, skills to the, to the table, it just makes it makes the thing stronger. And I'm, I think as I get older, I become a lot more aware of, you know, where I need to find those, those people and then be okay with, you know, with what they can do. So seeing, you know, sort of clarity um, around things that I have maybe a blind spot and we all do, right. I mean, everyone has, has blind spots and I think it's in recognizing, okay, well, I, I, I don't want to just sort of accept that those are my blind spots and then just kind of explain them away. I need to actually help, you know, and in my case, you know, Megan is, is a huge part of, of that. Um, but well, thank you. Thank you for being for my Megan. Somebody else. <laughs> I, have, I have a Kate also, but 
you, yeah, you serve yeah. a different. And on that on that point of uh, constraints, um, I would add that I believe cre- constraints actually create creativity. As you said, you use the word container, and unlimited, like no constraints, is far too. I think most people think that that's what you want, and let's just say you're easy trying to do a fashion brand well there needs to be a deadline when we have to have all the ideas in there needs to be a you know a price point for these you know the sneakers or there needs to be and so people think that there aren't any of those things but that actually these some of these real world constraints of availability of materials of timelines of budgets like these are actually what creates the product and in fact, it's just the opposite of what most people believe that you start with like tabula rasa and you have nothing. And I don't have the experience. I only have the experience really of that creating paralysis. And uh, in fact, most of the best things in worlds or in the creative experiences that I've had in creative projects have constraints. So if you can put those on yourself, it's better even. Absolutely. Or yeah, I mean, they can get, they can be a feature, not a bug, right? Like yeah. the, like in design, you know, to go back to that example, the constraint was, you know, we had this sort of hallway in the Ace Hotel for a certain period of time. It was, it was only, you know, that space that was sort of, it was as big as it, as it was. Um, but it wasn't the entire lobby of. For sure. Hotel, it was probably you know? 20 by 20, 400 square feet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it seems about uh, right. With with uh, you know, floor to ceiling those like walls were ten feet, and we used the ceiling. If you remember, we had digital installations. We had a physical art hanging in that space. It changed every day. Like all of those things were constraints. What kind of software could we use for cheap or free that would allow people to send us images and review them? We ended up going with some version of tum- some ha- Tumblr hack or something like. Yeah. Yeah, These are great yeah, examples, exactly. and because we did it on a budget, it was a self-funded project that actually, you know, ironically ended up getting the attention of the MoMA, the the Met. You remember right. the curator from yeah. the Met came and took. Yeah, us is that was yeah. it? Was that you and me that went to to lunch with her? Yeah, she took us to lunch at, in the the Founders Club at the Met about about. Um, that was mind blowing. Sh- yeah, doing this is what I mean. We're like. We hacked together an online submission that 10,000 people from around the world contributed photos to. We're printing them and displaying them every day for 30 days in the lobby of the Ace Hotel in New York. And the fucking curator, the photography curator from the Met shows up and says fucking how, and it's all anonymous too, by the way, all these photographs are anonymous. And she's like, this is insane. Can we meet and talk? Invites us to lunch, you and me go to the founders club and have lunch with her in this proper you know and we had just been featured in juxtapose the street art magazine and i'm like how does the street art magazine like um outreach how does that jive with the met which is you know probably the foremost museum in the united states right the met in new york is there something that's more uh maybe it's up there let's just say it's up there sure it's up there it's a top fiver and I'm trying to reconcile this stuff. This goes back to our earlier point about if you make a list of the things you think it takes to get in the Met, hacking Tumblr software and hanging Polaroid pictures in the lobby of a hotel is not one of the things that's on your list. Yes. Beautifully said. Yes. It's, it's very true. It was, uh, 
it, we just went out there and did it. Yeah. Do you remember that that we said, "Cool, well, I'd love to do this," and she said, "Well, awesome." So you know, my I, I spoke to the um, operations people or whatever the the you know the gallery people, and they you know they said it should be about thirty months until we could get a show, and I'm like, um, the whole like mobile photography world is going to be completely different in thirty months, and this is not going to make sense. That was ultimately the reason that we didn't move forward with that, I, I, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I know. It seemed like an interminably long uh, <laughs> period of time to go from that conversation to like, you know, by then, like cameras will be different, phones will be different. Totally. The it, cultural, when, you know, it, kind of uh, like, what's cool. It'd be like having a launching a USB 1, um, USB 1.0 conference right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, sorry, bro, we're on USB 3.0 already. It just doesn't make sense to like, hey, we've got this new connection. It's called USB. It's going to be great. You should come see the exhibition. Yeah. Like, but I think, you know, that one, another thing that you're, you're sort of bringing to light is that, you know, we were intentionally very small and scrappy. Yeah. And, and there, there was another way that we could have done it, right, which we didn't do, which was we could have built a very pretty looking, you know, deck and gone out and, and shopped it around and gone to Wired Magazine and gone to, you know, Sony Corporation and, yeah. you know, and everybody and said, here's how you get, you know, sponsor our thing. And it's going to be this very, you know, well orchestrated, you know, show or whatever. And we need to get a million dollars before, you know, we can, we can do it. Um, and, I, I just, that just doesn't work for me. I, I, I think, you know, another constraint is really the idea, you know, the artist, Tom Sachs, yes. um, uh, you know, a lot of his sort of ethos around like, no, we're just gonna, you know, we're going to make it out of plywood and we're going to go to the local radio shack and we're going to go get some connectors and we're going to figure out how to build, you know, these speakers that are going to intentionally be super rough, um, and very ready. And they, they're going to be what they're going to be, you know, and I, I, that just resonates a lot more with, with me of that sort of DIY, like, well, there's an urgency. There's like a, you know, there's like this got an idea, let's do it. And it's sort of over indexes in that same way that we spoke about earlier, 90%, 10% planning, 90% doing, because if you start to plan, you're burning time and cycles. And again, you don't want to, if, you want to plan if you're going to build a bridge right? <laughs> in, in modern, you know, modern, uh, a modern city or something, but we're not talking about building a bridge. No one's lives are at stake. We're talking about sort of the urgency, immediacy of art and connection and energy and all these things that are, that are, uh, yeah. difficult to define. Let me, um, let me just kind of maybe pivot on that for a second. Uh, because I, it makes me think of a lot of the, like the teams that we work with, with our research, you sure. know, it, they are super high performing teams of designers and engineers, whatever company, you know, sure. you mentioned Google I and mean, we do a lot with, with hydro flask and, you know, there's a point in the process that where it really makes sense to go out and just kind of have these very loose, open-ended kind of fact finding type of, of conversations. Um, and, and there's a, 
part in the process where that would really be a terrible idea. You know, after you, for example, have gone to tooling, you don't want to then decide, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to go out and start interviewing people about what they, what they like and don't like about this product. So I, I do think that, you know, like it comes with the territory. When you're creating art, it's maybe a little bit different if it's pure, pure art. But I, I have a feeling that a lot of the people who listen to you for guidance are, are in that sort of blend zone between art and design or, you know, or, or sort of commercial art um, where they want to be able to do it as a career you know, in the sort of art, like capital A art, the big art, right? So it could be writing, graphic design, things like that. Um, Building a business, any of that, yeah. Yeah, restaurateur, um, entrepreneurship, you know. Again, it's kind of the Seth Godin concept of art. I, I really yeah. like that. And yeah, and so I think, you know, if, if we sort of take the pure art out of it for a second and we talk about sort of applied art and design, really having at least kind of a framework you know, design thinking in and of itself is a framework that sort of tells you like you need to develop empathy, you know, well, you kind of need to do that on the front end to really be able to think about who is this for, you know, what problems do they have that I might be able to address, um, that kind of thing. So, you know, I don't, I'm sure it's not that different than when you're thinking about like writing a book, right? You're thinking about who is it for, what are the things that are you know, that are sort of challenges that I might be able to address through my experiences, you know, through my ideas, that kind of thing. That's a design process. So I, you know, we spend a lot of time at Curve Jumping thinking about the design process and how, you know, the work that we do can inform that process. Um, but it's so applicable, not just if you're making, you know, a, a water bottle or, you know, a new um, operating system, but anything, anything, yep. I think. Anything that people make, right? And that's kind of where we come back to what you were saying, you know, 90% sort of focused on the doing. It's yep. anybody who's making anything really needs to kind of understand the generalities of, of that process. And then and that with that constraint in place, then you can go totally bananas on B-A-N-A-N-A-S, bananas, bananas, B-A-N-A-N-A-S, bananas. That, how is how is Gwen Stefani still look like she's she's twenty five by the way? I don't know. I'm a, here's a funny Gwen Stefani story. I'm in college. I'm twenty years old. She's in a band called No Doubt. They're playing at the some some outdoor festival in San Diego, and I am the gaslight gas. It's in the gas lamp district. I don't know some festival downtown San Diego, and I am in college. Our soccer team is actually working the event. We're working like the beer stands. We're pouring beers. And and uh, during my break, me and a friend go, oh, man, I heard cool things about this new band called No Doubt. And I'm in the front row. And she reaches down from, you know, she's in the middle singing a song. And she reaches down and she grabs my hat, my baseball cap, and puts it on. And takes my hat and never gives it back. <laughs> she owes you a hat. <laughs> you should write her a letter. I'm gonna, I'm gonna send her a telegraph. Gwen, carrier <laughs> pigeon to Gwen Stefani's house. I want my hat back. My hat back from 1993. Damn. Well, if yeah, it, if it makes you feel any better, um, Alex Carlton, who is uh, is kind of the the head of creative and really kind of runs Filson there in in Seattle, took my. Um, 
army navy surplus jacket that i had just bought and, oh. uh, and, and he still owes me a jacket for that one so he's if you're yeah. listening out there we're coming for you yeah um well yeah, what's that saying great you know good great artists steal right yeah uh, so maybe that's you know you're not a great artist until you've stolen something so that's her, that was the moment that gwen became great or maybe that's that was her her clearly, clearly. <laughs> uh, that's what she does i just, clearly, I just take guys hats <laughs> um th- there's a there is a this is an interesting segue in my mind because this idea of great artists steal and this idea what you were just talking about of sort of collaboration and doing the work i was speaking with ryan holiday yesterday our, uh, the author um very well i think one of the most prolific authors of our generation certainly you know maybe somewhere in the order of 10 new york times bestsellers um we made a joke in this conversation about you know mo- what most people think you have to do some like you know heart wrenching absolutely from scratch original art in order to sort of make a statement about you or yourself or that's what your art is and he gets accused all the time of popularizing stoicism all Ryan Holiday is doing is popularizing stoicism and and he's like, uh, or that's actually exactly what I set out to do because I knew this thing, I found a lot of value in it, and I want to share this thing with other people. And boy, isn't it a lot easier to help other people understand something that's already out in the world and has been for thousands of years than saying, I've got these four, you know, and he's writing a book, a four series book, four book yeah. series right now. Courage, temperance, you know, which is basically self-discipline, wisdom, justice, or something like that. There's these four cardinal virtues of yeah. the Stoics, and 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 he's like, it's just so much cleaner if and and less um, douchey to say, I'm doing this rather than. You know, I sat around for my entire life and I came up with these. These are the four pillars, and. You know, and, and he gets criticized for that. And he's like, no, the people who criticize that are probably, they don't understand that that's actually, you know, that's a, it's a meaningful contribution. And I would argue sure. it parallels this, you know, great artists steal that Picasso line and, or Austin Kleon's book, Steal Like an Artist, which he, you know, t- stole sure. from, stole from yeah. Picasso. Right? <laughs> and there are people, this, these are, this is shit that blocks people all the time. They're sitting around thinking like, I have to write a, a music, you know, a song or a, or a, a symphony that is unlike anything anyone has ever done in order to be recognized. And it's like, no, take what's out yeah. there, improve on it, hack it, put it out. Add your two cents to the thing that's been there, whether that's a translation, an innovation, a twist, uh, uh, an exaggeration, uh, refutation, uh, any of these. Like, take a thing and smash it up and put it out there. Like, that's the thing. You didn't invent corporate research. Right. No. (laughs) But you're putting your own stamp on the thing that helps because you're attached to culture and insight and the intersection of media and technology and popular culture and empathy and humanness like you can put your own sort of like stamp on this thing it's like here's what people said here's what we think it means here's what we think you should do so whether it's corporate research or art you know it's the same shit yeah 
No, to be honest, um, the, it, it's actually the most interesting aspect, I think, of, you know, of, of the work that we do. It's what keeps me engaged in it is that I'm going to sit down and have a very, you know, meaningful conversation with someone I don't know. Um, and I'm going to do the listening and I'm going to give them an opportunity to really kind of express their thoughts and feelings about something and, it, and it's something anybody can do, right? It, there is nothing original about sitting down and listening to someone tell you a story. That's probably like since, Caveman you know, yeah, we became humanoid. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, w w within that, uh, you know, there, I mean, some people have imposter syndrome. I will, I will claim that I don't, it's probably a flaw. Uh, but I, I think I also just kind of realized like there are those, you know, you kind of go back to your Ryan holiday example, like who will criticize they're the critics, right? They're, they're the ones who who get to point out and say, oh, that, you know, what you're doing, you know, either you didn't get there legitimately, you did it wrong, or you're not doing it, you know, kind of, uh, it's not original, you're, you're copying, blah, 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 and, right? And, okay, like, fine, if, that, if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. That's probably not how a lot of other people feel. And so, you know, in, in a sense, like we're, we're wired to give way too much attention to, you know, the sort of negative feedback. Yeah. That's we get negativity bias. Yep. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, to, to a large extent and why, you know, when we do this research, we go out and talk to a lot of people is really to try to, to get a sort of read on like, where are most people at? And there's always going to be someone that's an outlier or something, you know, and it's like, it's not less valid somehow because they, they don't like it. It's just one person's opinion or one person's experience that where it becomes a problem. And I think this is probably like more important, you know, for people who are trying to sort of work through this is when, when you yourself become that self-limiting, that voice, right. And that, um, that's the creativity killer to a lot yeah. is, is you tell yourself that other people are going to say I'm an imposter or you mm -hmm. tell yourself like other people are going to say you didn't, or you didn't create this from, you know, from, from scratch. I mean, if that's, if, if that's the case too, like yeah. the entire genre of hip hop is basically illegit, right? Cause it's based on, you know, sampling and beats and, you know, and other people sort of re recontextualizing work that other people had done. But nobody's going to say that. Like, right? Ironically, it is this you know a relatively new genre that is you know taking the world by storm, specifically because it's overt about doing all those things. Yeah, it celebrates it, and it yeah. you know in in the same way, like I you know um, when I was working with our friend John Cunningham at at, at Groove Tech, um, you know, and we were working with a lot of of DJs and electronic music producers. This is like. 20 years ago um but really the process that they go through to create you know something you know a lot of it is you've got somebody's record on this turntable and another person's record on this turntable you could just put a needle down and sit there and just play the entire record that's not there's nothing creative about that that's not art yep. at all yep. but the second you start to mix one record and the other record and create it something that didn't exist before you know Oh my God, that 
there you go, right? So yeah. it's uh, it, it, there is something very beautifully kind of simple about that. But whoever that person was, you know, DJ Cool Herc, I think is the the person they right. Um, of course, you know that he didn't give a, a shit. You know, yeah. he wanted to make people dance. You know, he had this turntable plan this beat and it would sound really cool if I, you know, throw the, you know, and he, I think he also, I think he might've been Jamaican originally. So he was like emceeing over the top of it and that's new. Right. Yeah. But I, you know, I'm sure there were a huge number of, of very established music critics at the time who are like, that's not even music. Right. I don't, that's just derivative. He's just playing, you know, two records or whatever. Yeah. Poo pooed it. Um, so, you know, Fuck those guys. <laughs> well, it, no, no. I, uh, this there's a parallel again to my conversation with Ryan yesterday, which he said that most people, it, it basically a, an analog of what you just said, like that. Someone who's listening to our show right now, what goes on in their brain is mostly a self sabotaging, self limiting voice that says I shouldn't do that because it's not X or it's not going to be revered as Y. And Ryan admitted in this conversation that, you know, I did that with my first book, which was Trust Me, I'm Lying, that he, you know, we, we talked about at some length about, you know, he was like, hey, look, I was 24 when I wrote that. There was a qualifiers, but did I think it was controversial? And is it interesting? And was it hell oppression? Because that is one of the things that has transformed our culture obviously for the worst in the last five years is this, you know, hacking of information and truth. And, and he's like, the whole time I was writing that, I was thinking like, well, what is this critic going to say? And how can I get in front of that? And how, you know, it was just basically like sure. all this self-censorship, which he's like, yeah. turns down that turns out that makes a less impactful narrative in his mind because there's all this self-censoring. So I think if we put a bow on this, it's like, hey, if you're listening to this right now and you're worried about trying to make something express the original, that's actually the wrong thing to be worried about. And what you should be worrying about is, you know, again, listening to our own experiences here, someone like Ryan Holiday and, you know, hundreds of guests we've had on the show and, you know, our, our you know, uh, career co-conspirators from Lady Gaga to Richard Branson to... Um, you know, whatever, Tony Hawk to Travis Rice to, you know, whatever, you know, crazy people we've collaborated uh, with. Sir Mix-a-Lot. Sir Mix-a-Lot. Like, <laughs> don't forget we, Sir Mix-a-Lot. Don't forget Sir Mix. Is that, like, that's actually not the thing that you ought to be fearing. What you should be fearing is not doing shit on a regular basis and putting it out there and almost by whatever means necessary. And and all this over-indexing, over-indexing rather, on, again, action over intellect is the way I like to talk about it. And that that is actually the path. You know, go, go look back to the story we just told about Dasein. Our, and we're saying the word Dasein, D-A-S-E, or I-E-N or E-I-N, I think, which is the, yeah, which is the uh, German philosopher Heidegger's, um, it's the phrase for to be, which is basically being human, just like everyday life. Um, and so that was the, you know, the the ethos that we had on that, you know, around that ex exhibition that 
was the thing that got, you know, a, a huge amount of attention in New York. And how do you fucking stand out in New York? You know, that's, that's, that's hard. It was just urgency and efficacy and doing shit. And that's what you should over-index on, not the how do I say something profound internal dialogue that awesome, uh, you know, often happens. That's, I mean, what you're describing is something that, that honestly, I, I have struggled with for most of my life, which is being that sort of like overly sensitive to how I will be perceived yeah. by other people, um, yeah. self-conscious, right? Um, yeah. And it's like, a, you know, the way that I think about it is there's kind of a thought process that I have. And then there's this kind of like, let's say it's a, it's an off-ramp. You know, but but the off ramp just leads to a circle, and you get stuck on. You took the off ramp, now you can't get back on the highway, but you're stuck in the circle, right? And you're just driving around in circles. Well, that circle is is basically your brain spinning out on all of those non productive thoughts that you have about you know self doubt and it's not good enough and no one's going to like it and it's you know I didn't work hard enough. I should have done this. I should have done that or or whatever. and I can't, there's nothing I can point to directly to say like, oh, this is how I sort of overcame being self-conscious other than I think I kind of grew out of it for me. I just had to kind of realize like it doesn't serve me. Nobody really cares, you know, anyway, um, or at least the people who I care about, maybe let me rephrase that. I think this was a Brene Brown concept. Megan was telling me this, but it's been very helpful. Um, you know, if you really sit down and think about the people whose opinions you really oh yeah, yeah value, right? This is Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna come up with a short list. Maybe it's ten people. Maybe it's you know thirty people. But it's probably not a hundred people. Who, um, so if you you know if you can kind of use them as your like internal soundboard, mm-hmm. if I put it in front of them, are they gonna you know shit all over it? Or are they gonna call me out and tell me that I'm a, a faker. Are they going to just be like, Hey man, we're on your team. Right. You know, we want, we want to see you do something like that makes you, you know, happy that we, it makes you feel fulfilled. Um, then all the other hypothetical, you know, hundreds, thousands of people that are out there who that, you know, are, are kind of spinning on that, on that circular drive, just kind of fade away. They're, they cease I to think, exist because I think the first time that Brene said that in public was on the Chase Jarvis live show in, I think, 2010 or maybe 12. And she actually, I believe, if you can go to the YouTube video, it's got millions of views. She, I think she actually takes it out of her wallet. It is a one-by-one one piece of paper that she carries with her everywhere she goes. And it has the list of people that she actually cares about, you know, what they think of her. And... That she can put it on a one by one piece of paper that carried in her wallet with her everywhere she goes, that is a great, great filter. Yeah, great. Filter. I think it's a you know it, it it's a hack at yep. the end of the day, and I love hacks um, because you know if you if you actually do the exercise, which should take you no more than a minute, you sit down and write you know off the top of your head those those people. Maybe you'll forget you know one or two, but you'll get most of them on there. Uh, that minute or two that you spent doing that will be more value adding than, you know, hundreds of hours of sitting down and trying to be incredibly intentional about how to make something that everybody's going to (laughs) like. 
there's a that reminds me of a great Andy Warhol quote. Don't think about making art, just get it done. Let everybody else decide if it's good or bad, whether they love it or hate it. And while they're deciding, you make even more art. How badass is that? Yeah. No, I mean, he's a good example too of someone who, you know, he he, he became famous, infamous for painting a picture of a Campbell soup can or a bunch of Campbell soup cans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm sure if we went back in the archives at the time that that happened, probably more critics called him out on that as being, you know, not art or not good art than the ones who, you know, who sort of said, hey, th- this is new and fresh and different and I'm not sure I understand it. But, you know, Warhol's maybe the most influential modern mm-hmm. artist. It's certainly one of the the most influential. So, yeah, there's a lot there. Oh, his his the soup cans were like tiny versions of his soup can screen printings were going in in the early 2000s for like 12 million dollars. <laughs> and I don't even know uh yeah. I'm going to look it up on the internet. Yeah. In May 2006, one sold for $12 million. <laughs> like, That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. There so there you go. You know, it doesn't get any more sort of um, copying than painting a picture of, of a Campbell's tomato soup can. And yet nobody throws Warhol under the bus. Anyway, I think, I think we've made our point, but um, yep. I don't know. Where, where do we go from here? I got a question. This is self-serving, so I will confess but I do want to let people who are listening in on and participate in some work that I'm doing about my, around my next book. And you've always okay. been very helpful. So this uh, consider this a little therapy session. Okay. And uh, this is me asking for your help out here in the open. Uh, and I do think that, you know, hopefully there, uh, I'll say the same thing to the community who are listening and watching right now. This is the sausage. That's the goal of today's is to like talk about how the sausage is made. Um, so I am, you know, I've I have announced this past week that I've left Creative Live. Uh, so happy I wrote about it. If you are not, um, if you haven't paid attention to that. Uh, announcement, I would encourage you to go do it. And if you're not subscribed to my email newsletter, you would have known before anybody else on the planet that this was happening. Um, but essentially, I am in a new chapter. Um, my written statements about leaving Creative Live, again, super over the moon about my time there and having now moved on and sold the company to Fiverr. It's in their capable hands. And I am leaving what has ostensibly been manager mode for the past number of years and sort of back fully into maker mode, which is largely what we've been talking about today. And in this process of this new chapter, um, one of the things I'm writing a lot about and I think is a huge um, blind spot for culture is the gap between success and fulfillment. We often, as a culture, we program, we chase success, and that it turns out, in my estimation, that success is actually a very low bar. I could, if you told me what you wanted to do or be or become, and you wanted to be successful, I feel like I could make for most people a list of, if you do these 10 things, you will create success for yourself in this area of your life. So I, my, my statement is success is a low bar. 
we should really be shooting for fulfillment. And so what are the components of fulfillment and what are the tools that we need to master in order to get that life? Because I have spoken to friends of, no, you and I know from certainly from our past and working with other crazy celebrities and shit that there are lots of people who are super successful and are fucking miserable. And so part you know my contribution part of the contribution I want to make to this next chapter and specifically part of what I'm working on in the book is how do we optimize for fulfillment you know ambitious person says x fulfilled person says y or ambition person ambitious person x wants x or says x or feels x fulfilled person you know you know, says why, lives why, understands why, and and by, by why I'm saying the letter Y, not W H Y. Got it. I get it. The, the first thought that comes to my head is that success is the way that you want other people to see you. So it's a very sort of external mm-hmm. lens, and fulfillment is how you feel about yourself which is very different and very mm-hmm. internal kind of along the lines of success is status too. And oftentimes you see, you know, the, the, the things that are sort of designed to portray success, you know, kind of have to have status. Well, a lot of times status is just bullshit. It's mm-hmm. like the, the fancy thing, you know, it's, it's made of Chrome or whatever um, so that it looks fancy. It's just, a, you know, I, I think there's a lot of like false, flags around success. So, you know, getting in touch with, with fulfillment, you know, comes back to doing the emotional labor because you're probably going to have to actually like really kind of go inside and and be very introspective Mm -hmm. to actually connect with, you know, fulfillment, you know, probably answers a very different question. It's like, so what, like, what's important to me, you know, Mm -hmm. what's important to the, what's important to the people around me, you know, I, I think it's very helpful to, you know, for me to think about sort of my family, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just about me. It's, a, it's about Megan and our kids and, yeah, um, right? And so that's helpful. Let me inject. So it took me like three months to figure out what you just said. <laughs> like I asked you, this is why I love, love Alex Hillinger. Like I asked, it took me like three months to get that internal, external, you know, false flag, whatever. And I ask you and you say it in... With it, with thinking about it for like sixteen seconds, and then saying it in two paragraphs, I'm like, "Fuck, he's done it again." <laughs> well, I, I, thank you, thank you, Chase. I do think that the reason that for me it was a very sort of like visceral answer is because I I really wrestled with that now going probably twelve, fifteen years ago when you know when I was in Seattle and then I I left and moved out here to. Wyoming. I mean, it's Jackson, Wyoming. Okay. I get it, but it's still Wyoming and it's pretty remote. And it probably would have been easier for me to achieve success staying, you know, kind of on the West coast and, you know, and I was sort of in the tech startup world and I had to really kind of wrestle with what, what is fulfillment for me and can I go for that? And, and in a way kind of let go of a lot of the things that I had probably been telling myself you need in order to be a successful person. Yep. Um, money being, you know, the primary one, um, 
not you know not to say i didn't need money i did and i needed to figure out how to how to earn a reasonable you know amount of money to be able to live you know sort of uh let's say the, the lifestyle that i wanted to live um in a very expensive place. I know you don't subscribe to the starving artist, you know, yeah. model and and I don't either. Um but you know, the practical realities too is like I have three children now. I would like them to get higher education that costs money um you know, those kinds of things. So in any case, I I I really had to kind of I was forced. That was a constraint. I moved to Wyoming. I needed to figure out how am I going to make this work for me and a lot of that was how do I design basically a lifestyle, you know, where fulfillment is kind of the goal um, and, and sort of let go of the outward perspective mm -hmm. on a lot of that. And believe me, like I worried a lot, you know, especially in the early days, let's say pre pandemic too, about how is it going to look if I'm out there pitching somebody, you know, you should, you should hire me, you should work with curve jumping, you know, we're, we're out here in Wyoming and I'm talking to someone in New York or San Francisco or whatever in the back of my mind, you know, I'm thinking like, there's, there's no way, but there was a way. And, you know, to be honest, it kind of forced me to get my head at a level where I forced people to dispense with their own preconceived ideas about where a research firm, yep. you know, needs to be, um, or strategy, you know, consulting it, which is what I was doing sort of before then. Right. So anyway, I can, I can relate to it. I guess that's why for well, me, it was, yeah, what I'm hearing is also, uh, since I have the advantage of having thought about this for months and months, and you've been thinking about it for, uh, according to our recording, about four minutes here, um, is that if you chase success alone, you will not land at fulfillment. And if you chase fulfillment, you are very likely to land at success. So it is, it is antithetical to what most people, I believe, because if you, if you chase success for success, you know, most people, you know, like what I don't want to also be and why I'm trying to, you know, sample you and hundreds of people that have been on the show and all these private conversations with many of the world's top performers that I get to have on a regular basis, you know, that this is one thing I've been thinking about in the book. You can't say like, I'm so successful and Trust me, you don't want any of it. It's not what it's cracked up to be. And boy, wouldn't it be nice if I was just fulfilled? Because right now, some MFers going like, bro, let me try it on. I'll just do it. I like, I'll, I'll I like give the it a British shot. accent. <laughs> <laughs> let me try on being rich for a while. And I'll just, I'll tell you. So you can't come at it like that. But it doesn't take, you know, it's not a stretch to say, cool, well, here's my personal experience, experience of, hundreds of the world's top performers and all these different disciplines that here's sort of their advice. Again, that goes back to the Ryan holiday. I'm just going to take the stoic said and reflect on it rather than saying, this is something I'm postulating. And it turns out that the folks that have, and there are many people who have said, I wanted to be successful. So I did X and I got to sort of the, the mountaintop and I looked around and was like, not only is this not the mountaintop, this is a fucking lonely, miserable place. It's windy. It's cold. Nobody else is here. I think I've set my compass for the wrong destination. And it turns out that if you can point yourself in a different destination, the destination is, it's not 
it's not the mountain that you just climbed. It's in many cases, it's a downhill. It's it's a downhill. You get to walk downhill to the place where you are more comfortable, more happy, more connected with the work that you do, the people you spend time with. So, yeah, you know. Um, and, and, can and, I can I interject for a second? Yes, please do. This is why you're here. I think that you know when you describe sort of success, it also sounds to me like it's a destination, right? You say it's a goal or whatever, but it's really about sort of getting there, right? And that implies that the slog, you know all of the sort of sausage making and all of that is in service of getting to the destination. Mm -hmm. And that can make the slog unbearable and miserable, right? Cause you're, you're looking at yourself sort of slogging it out um, with the, you know, kind of fingers crossed and I hope that this all works. And then I end up, you know, getting to this destination and it's success and, you know, I arrived or whatever. We're sort of falling in love with the idea that there is no destination like the journey is all we have. And I know that's trite and I'm, and certainly I'm repeating what a million people have said, but I, the, I have found at least like the more you embrace that, the more you stop thinking about where that destination is and you start really loving waking up every day and getting on the journey, Yeah, you know, and you and I have talked a little bit about, you know, I went on sort of a, a health kick um, after I turned 50 it was not, I did not wake up one day and say, I'm going to do this. It, it, I will give Megan most of the credit because she's the one who was like, you can do it and you really should do it. And, you know, for all of us, like, don't just do it for yourself. Like you have a family and all that. And I realized that, you know, all of my efforts previously to, to really get in shape that failed was primarily due to the fact that when I got to the place where the real work happened, like where it actually became hard, I backed off. Like, ooh, that, I don't like the way that feels. It took getting essentially a mentor. I, I, I got a trainer, um, this wonderful woman named Laura, and she, um, you know, I like to joke that she's, you know, 10% sort of sadistic because she, she has to get some sort of pleasure out of watching me suffer. suffer. <laughs> um, but she showed me that, hey, you're capable of enduring that pain and after probably about like two or three weeks, I realized like a, a little switch had gone off and I actually started to kind of look forward to the feeling of being crushed, like absolutely just physically crushed um, to the point where like that became like no big deal. Okay, fine. Like, you know, I know like you like to get in Puget Sound, which is cold as, as hell, right? And it. yeah, you look forward to it. You're like, this is going to be super uncomfortable. It's going to be really, really cold. Uh, and then the thing is going to happen where I kind of transform and I stop feeling cold and I, I stop even really sort of perceiving like all those outward things and you just kind of go inward and yeah. Right. Um, but oftentimes it takes somebody else, you know, kind of helping you get there but back to the idea of sort of the, you know, a collaborator, a mentor in that case, it was a trainer, but some, someone who can kind of push you, or, or see your blind spots in this case, like that was probably a blind spot for me was like, I don't know how to overcome the sort of fear of feeling pain in, mm -hmm. you know, on a treadmill or, you know, or a rowing machine or with kettlebells or whatever. So um, that was a long way of, of saying it, but I do think that you, when you start to kind of love doing the, the hard work um, and you see that as really kind of the thing that you're going to get up and do that day, 
um, you won't fixate so much on that sort of success endpoint because probably too, it's wherever you envision that and where you end up, they're not going to be the same place anyway. And it doesn't matter, right? It matters only if you fixate it on like, you know, I need a super yacht or I need, you know, 14 houses or, or whatever. Um, and a wine cellar, you know, with 10,000 bottles of French, you know, Bordeaux. But <laughs> if you're just, Hey man, you know, I'm, I'm going to get up today. I'm going to, I'm going to charge it or not, you know, maybe today is just a day that you need to just kind of like be nice to yourself and, you know, all right, I'm just going to have a little extra, you know, long lunch or take a walk or, or whatever. Anyway, I think that, I think it's just, it, a lot of it is in the reframing, right. And you have to kind of be able to reframe maybe the things that I tell myself are sort of the goal where I'm trying to get to are not actually serving me. I need to reframe it, you know, around much more also like immediate and, and tactile things, mm -hmm. right? Like the next two hours, what am I going to do? I try to kind of block time in like 90 minutes now because I found that that's about the maximum amount of time that I can pay attention to something before I just start to fade, you know, but I can, it's taken a long time to get there. For sure. And, anyway. Ironically, ironically, we're at 90 minutes right now. It's <laughs> 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 pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's a very good. subtle way of ending the show, Alex. <laughs> You're so that subtle. Nice. That's what I love about you. Yeah, just gonna put that in there. Ninety minutes. You're like Chase. Um, yeah, I, I start to die at about ninety minutes, and here it's like eighty nine minutes and thirty seconds. <laughs> well, you can't expect anything out of me then for the next thirty minutes. But um. well, I you know I think there there are a couple of things that are you know maybe it does make sense to wrap up a little bit, but I I'd like to. Um, try and put a bow on some of the things. Let's look backwards. Okay. The goal of, I'm going to call this a little series, and the goal of the series that you and I are making here um, is insights through conversation with people who know each other well that are focused on the topics that this community cares about the most, about you know happiness, joy, fulfillment, creativity, connection, um, empathy, understanding, self-exploration, self-mastery, you know, health, wellness, mental strength. I mean, I can go on and on, but the, I think like if we had drew a constellation of things, I think these are things that we can put a circle around and our, you know, 20 years of working together has, um, has been very, very helpful for me. You've been a huge, you know, a huge piece of this. Um, I've learned a lot from you and I will expect that over the, a couple of, you know, these, these shows that will, we'll call these explorations. You and I went into this agreeing that this could be an exploration, a conversation, um, between two, you know, two co-hosts about life and the things that this community cares about. So, uh, I will, I would like to say thank you for being willing as someone who is, the you know more organized of the two of us for being willing to go in I doubt and, that <laughs> and i do want to take a moment and say you know curve jumping you know your professional um the, the professional uh manifestation of your work is at curvejump.co is that right no uh, just curvejumping.com curvejumping.com yes, okay 
um, curvejumping.com for anyone who has business problems that they need solving. Or if you remember when we were we were talking at some point, not probably like three years ago, but it feels like yesterday, you know, you, you asked me, this is, again, this is, I think, exemplary of our relationship. You called me and say, well, you know, what do I, I'm trying to like sort of retool, what do I do? And you're like, you had some fucking nerdy, you know, two hour long explication of what you do. And I'm like, dude, you make people's biggest dreams come true. If those dreams are what someone who's inside of a company wants to do with information to manifest something that they want the company to do, or in my case, or in Travis Rice's case, you're like, you help people make that shit happen for themselves. And in ironically and sweetly in exchange for that, not only do you get money, but you know, you are living because that is your vision. You, you, you're able to connect all these, you know, things that most people are not able to connect. And so you, it's, it's beautiful to be your friend and to watch you at work. And thank you for sharing all, you know, you've shared a lot of yeah. uh, sweet stuff today. I think it's awesome. You know, one thing I do want to um, explore with you, it's probably good that we're sort of doing it, you know, later in the conversation, but um, you know, I'm very conscious of the fact that like, you know, you and I are very similar in the sense, like we're about the same age. We're, you know, we're two white dudes um, who grew up with relative, you know, privilege and had a lot of uh, things, basically doors open for us. Sure. Like, I, I won't take any credit away from our own sort of chutzpah, you know, oh, and, uh, but and hustle. But white, and all, male, and born in America, you know, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Of course. And, uh, and, 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 you know, and in doing, um, in doing as many, you know, research interviews as I've done now, you know, really have gained a lot of insight into people's lives who have grown up in very, very different circumstances who are still living in, you know, in very different circumstances and, um, and maybe didn't have, or, you know, weren't afforded a lot of the, the sort of breaks that, you know, that you and I got. So I do think like, it if is very we, critical. Yes. Yeah. If we're going to, you know, if, if, if we're going to do something like this, I want to push the, envelope on kind of breaking out of the like you know two relatively successful white guys you know talking and and really be able to kind of open it up more um yep. i don't exactly know what that means but do you get what i'm saying like oh I don't... i'm yeah I, I, and i think you know it would be remiss if you didn't i'm very happy that you that you have put this exclamation point on the conversation because without it uh i think we're ignoring far too much. And, um, I see, like, let me just kind of say one more thing about it. Cause it's, it, yeah. it's something that like, if there's things that sort of trouble me or keep me awake at night, um, it is, you know, the fear that sort of society has kind of, you know, there's, there's kind of a fork in the road, if you will. Um, and we see this manifest in so many different ways, you know, in our society, but, that there are there's a whole huge number of people who kind of feel like how am i ever gonna just get my head above water you know mm -hmm. i mean maybe maybe they're saddled with debt or whatever but how am i going to just you know take one piece of the advice that i hear you guys talking about like in light of all of the sort of like almost structural challenges that um 
that they're facing, you know, and Systemic, so structural. Yeah. 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 Um, and I really wrestle with that, you know, cause I don't think that I probably do enough in that realm. And I, you know, I'm, I struggle to know what it is that I can do or should do. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, devoting sort of energy to, to conversations like this, um, I, w- I would like there to be some way to, 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 to sort of make, make sure that, that the people who, who are, you know, sort of see like impenetrable boundaries can also, you know, maybe see, see get something out of it. That's like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe it's just, Get value, and I, feel included, feel connected. Yes. Yeah. Or, or, you know, or, or, or something that's relevant to their own, you know, maybe, maybe they have creative ideas mm-hmm. and need to kind of hear that, like, you know, there are a lot of people who, you know, who are probably in similar situations that somehow figured out how, how to use that creativity to, as, as kind of a, a springboard. Mm-hmm to, you know, to a place that's a little bit, that, that feels sort of like they're not just on kind of the losing end of the spectrum. So not to get all heavy and serious. No, I, I can't. I'm grateful for you saying the things that need to be said more often, even if they are intended. It's the utterance of them, the, the effort put into acknowledging it that is in part valuable. It doesn't solve the problem but it's no, I mean, I, you know, some of it is being informed by living in, in a place like Jackson, which is such a bizarre combination of, you know, sort of ultra wealthy, but also like it's in this incredibly rural state. And uh, I think that Jackson holds the sort of dubious distinction of having like the largest wealth gap mm-hmm. to like the largest sort of space in between the haves and the have nots. And it gets its sort of reputation very deservedly of being this sort of, you know, haven of, of billionaires. But at the same time, it, it makes me that much more conscious of the people that are just trying to eke it out. Yeah. You know, it, Jackson's almost an, an impossible place to do that. But even in the surrounding, you know, communities, um, and by the same token, like, you know, I have exposure to maybe conversations in, you know, in sort of rural towns in Wyoming, where people really struggle with, basic thing yeah or 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 things you know conversations around like um well this town is built on sort of mining or farming or you know or whatever um and nobody's really throwing a bone you know they they're just going to kind of double down on on what sustains their livelihood and that may align them with you know political belief systems that are very anathema to what you and i think or what a lot of the people that you know, that we hang out with think or people, you know, kind of in more urban areas think or whatever, but I've developed a lot more empathy, at least that like those perceptions that they have are very real and very uh, meaningful for them. And by the way, they're also surrounded by other people that kind of feel the way that they do. Um, Right. And then you have for better or for worse things like social media that connect them with other people like that. And it's, you know, it's kind of like, this is how we got to this place of sort of feeling like are there two truths or there two Americas or there two, you know, whatever, like there's just, it's very easy to kind of write off. Ah, it's, it's all misinformation. It's all, you know, it's all sort of fabrications and lies and for sure, like some of it is, but, um, but some of it is actually just seeing a very different reality when you walk out the door 
you know, and what you, what your opportunities are, what you do, who's, who's offering you, you know, a handout or whatever. It's very different. You yeah. Know? So well said, very, yeah. very well said. Thank That's you for all closing I on a heartfelt and <laughs> earnest. No, it's, that needs to be said. Unequivocally required, yeah. required acknowledge. Until next time, all right. uh, undertaking this experiment. And for everybody out there in the world, again, thank you for uh, requesting more personal, more esoteric and, um, I guess, exploratory concepts here for the show. Because we are aiming to deliver on those. This is one of the one of the ways that I feel like we can get it. So thank you, Alex, for being a co-host, a co-host in conversation uh, today. And I'm looking forward to recording our next one soon for everybody out there in the world. Uh, you'll steer them to curvejumping.com. And yes. everybody out there, you know how to get a hold of me. Um, until next time, anything else you want to add, Alejandro Hillinger? I think I'm good. The jury rests. <laughs> rests. A Hill in the house. Thanks again, buddy. Appreciate you. And until next time, everybody out there in, in the internet land in your ears, hopefully you're enjoying today's show. Next time. Bye bye. All right. Hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. And if you got value from this show, chances are your community will too, right? In the particular lies the universal. Please share this link to the show with a friend or mention the show on social. That is a huge benefit for us in hopefully in exchange for providing value to you. I want you to know that I really appreciate your time, the attention, anything that you give to the show and the questions that you ask our guests either on social media or through my text community. All of that is pure gold. This community, like any community, is a testament to that old phrase, a rising tide floats all boats. And by elevating one another, by sharing and resharing this show, the tidbits that you learn and the experiences you take away all of that has a collective, massive, positive impact on the world. So just a quick thank you. I appreciate all the effort you put into sharing for the show. All right, that's a wrap. Let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together. Mm-hmm.